It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. so good to get back into the book of Hebrews. Uh, For those of you that are kind of joining us, we were covering the appointed feast of the Lord. So we talked about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles last Sunday. We talked about uh, Yom Kippur or uh, the Day of of Atonement. We also talked about the Feast of Trumpets. But now we're back into the meat of uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, this section is uh, uh, the race or running to him. We are running to him. So um, I'm sure some people who are uh, new with us today, they won't be surprised when I say we're only going to cover two verses today. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. So let's start with verse 1. Therefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So as a background, before we get into this, we have to understand, uh, as, as the author of Hebrews is saying, therefore, uh, he's pointing back to what we examine in chapter 11. And of course, we know what we examine in chapter 11. We call that the Hall of Faith, uh, this section of scripture that covers men and women uh, mighty in their faith in God, renowned for uh, allowing the Lord to work in and through their lives. And our prayer as a fellowship and as men and women of Christ is that uh, we should be allowing God to work mightily through us. But it takes faith. It takes a willingness, a conscientious decision every single day to say, Lord, not my will be done, but Lord, let your will be done in my life. And also it takes an understanding and recognition that Our lives as believers are no longer our own, but our lives belong to the living king. Because as Peter says, we have been purchased not with gold, not with metals, but with the precious blood of Jesus. So therefore, we are no longer ourselves. We no longer belong to ourselves. Our lives belong to him. And as Paul tells us, not only do our lives belong to him, but now we are adopted by him. We have been brought into this kingdom. We have been made sons and daughters. We have been made co-inheritors with Christ. We are no longer foreigners. We are no longer aliens, but rather we have been brought near into the kingdom of God. And so now we are descendants spiritually of Abraham. And therefore we are partakers of the blessings of God through his son, Jesus. So we looked at chapter 11, and I encourage you to go back there, because um, a lot of times, you know, the, the Christian walk is not an easy one, right? You know, we don't just wake up every day, it's like, I got this, this is perfect, I'm, I'm walking smoothly. There are challenges every single day. There are challenges externally in the world. 
There are challenges from the enemy, and there are challenges with that person that you see in the mirror every single day. And I would say, I would submit to you, for me, most of, part, most of my challenges, a majority of my opposition comes from that man in the mirror. That man in the mirror whose flesh says, you know what, I don't want to be submitted to the Lord, though my spirit says, Lord, I want to yield to you. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. He said, uh, he talked about the, the battle, the tension uh, between the man of God, the spirit that yields, that wants to be yielded to the Lord, and the flesh that desires to, to not do the things of God. And he says, he concludes, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, that it is through Jesus he has victory, that it is through the blood and atoning sacrifice of Yeshua that he now has the ability to walk with God in a way that pleases God, and we can have that as well. And so this example that we have in chapter 11 is crucial because there is going to be opposition. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good courage because he has overcome the world. And that is primary. That is primary. We have to hold on to this because what we're going to see in this chapter is that no matter what's happening, if we set our eyes on him, the first and the last, we can find everything we need to be encouraged and to walk with the Lord. So it says, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And so when we think about some of the witnesses, who are some of the witnesses that come to our mind? We think about Moses, right? We think about what God did through Moses, this man who had in his heart that he wanted to deliver the people, but he was going to go about it according to his will. He was going to go about it according to his own means, and so God takes this man, takes him out of Egypt, and for 40 years, he breaks this man down. For 40 years, God humbles him. For 40 years, God molds and shapes Moses into the man that is now useful for his work. And you know what? God is doing that with us, right? God may say, say something to us. He may put in our hearts a vision or a passion. Uh, he may put into our mind, hey, there's something that I have called you. I purposely created you for such a, for such a function, for such a work. But, and we're saying, okay, Lord, here I am. Let's do it. Let's get it done. And God's like, no, not yet. No, not yet. There are some things in you I need to get rid of. A person that comes to mind, obviously, from chapter 11 is Joseph. God told him through dreams who he would be. God uh, revealed to Joseph that uh, he would raise him up and he would do great and mighty things. But there was one problem with that. And the problem was Joseph. And so God had to take, them through, take him through this process of breaking to the point where his brothers are jealous of him, to the point where his brothers want to kill him, to the point where his brothers decide to, it's better off to sell him into slavery. As now Joseph is in Egypt, he's a slave, he's working for Potiphar's, he's accused of rape by Potiphar's wife or attempted rape, he's thrown in the jail, he's forgotten in jail, and then, then, and only then, after Joseph has been broken and humbled, God raises him up, and God uses him to save lives. And so these examples after examples, we have Abraham, a man who walked by faith, who believed that God was able to do the impossible, not only to give him an heir when he was well beyond the, the, age, the age of being able to have a, have a child again, but also that very heir that he gave him 
Isaac, Abraham believed that as God called him to sacrifice his only son, that he would raise him up again. And so Abraham with Isaac journeyed up Mount Moriah, believing that God would resurrect his son. We have Abraham. We have Jacob, a man who was beset with himself, a man who tried to do everything according to his conniving, a man who we read of when he was born, had his hand firmly wrapped around Esau's ankle, a man who tried to go throughout life deceiving others just so that he could be everything he wanted to be. But yet God wrestles with him and humbles him, cripples him such that every time he walks, every limp he takes, who is he reminded of? He is reminded of the God that he met. And in fact, we, we, see, um, we see that as he is talking with the Lord, as, he's, as the Lord is saying, look, you need to let me go. I have to depart. We, we don't see a prideful man saying, bless me. I will never let you go until you bless me. Right now, the scripture tells us we see a broken Jacob with tears pleading, oh, Lord, please bless me. Coming to the end of himself with brokenness and heavy heart, recognizing that he can't do this by himself anymore. He needs the grace of God in his life crying out, holding on dearly to the Lord, saying, please bless me. You know what? That's a great place for all of us to be. God is looking for that. The Lord honors that. He's pleased by that. So we have these witnesses, and, and not just uh, these, these patriarchs, but also we have Deborah, uh, Deborah who encouraged Barak. In the book of Judges, she encouraged him to be brave and to be courageous and to do what God had called Barak to do. And so whether male or female, we have amazing examples of people walking by faith, believing God, trusting God, and God doing amazing things in their lives. And I tell you what, God is wanting to do the same thing in us as well. Well, maybe we're not going to part a Red Sea. Right? Maybe we're not going to call down water in the desert. Uh, maybe for some of us, we're not going to have a child at 80 or 90 years old. And that's probably a good thing. for. But there are steps of faith. There are works of faith that God is calling each and every one of us. And he has called you specifically, not me, not the person next to you. But there are things that he has called you specifically that he wants you to be a part of. So this, this cloud compasses us. It surrounds us. It encircles us. And in fact, um, that cloud, it, it's only used one time, the word for cloud here in Greek, nephos, and we get the Latin word nebula from it. So you kind of get this image of stars, you know, this, this cloudy mass where stars are formed. And you know what's cool to me is because in the book of Daniel, Daniel talks about those who are wise, who bring many into the kingdom. He says that those who bring many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. And so this life that we're in, it's almost like a star formation. It's, it's a time where God is forming in us the glory he will reveal if we just walk by faith. And so we are surrounded. And when I think of that, sometimes we like to think of this passage as like, okay, uh, there's literally Abraham and Isaac looking down on me. That's not cool, right? No pressure, right? We got Joseph looking down on me. We got all these people. Well, you can look at it that way if you want to. 
but I like to think of it as this. I like to think of it as like, in my walk with the Lord every single day, every single day I am challenged. I am challenged as to whether I will walk in obedience and faith or I'm challenged as to whether I will shrink back. Am I going to walk forward or am I going to shrink back? And remember, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what I think of when I think about being encompassed with these clouds, this, this cloud that encompasses us, surrounds us, is that I think of the word of God, these examples of men and women who walk by faith, such that no matter what excuse I come up with, Someone has already walked down that path. And so if I go back and open up God's word, I can find, I can find an example of someone who's walked that path and I can find strength and encouragement. So no matter where I am, no matter what situation I'm dealing with, no matter what problem, no matter what anxiety, if, if, I'm, if I'm being asked to do something that's sinful, you know what, I can go back and I can look at Daniel's life. Like, hey, do the sinful thing or lose your job. No, you know what? There's Daniel in the lion's den. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to worship a false idol. And so now I can take that encouragement. I'm surrounded. I'm encompassed by this cloud of witnesses that encourages me every step of the way. No matter what is happening, I have encouragement. And so I think of it as that way. And it is for the purpose of forming me into the image of God. It is for the purpose of forming me into this, the image of his son to make me shine with his glory. These witnesses, these people, these men and women who laid down their lives, maybe not physically, but certainly they uh, sacrifice something. They gave up something. Abraham gave up being a citizen of his nation to go to a place that God had told him to go that he had never seen before. Abraham walked by faith. He believed. He said, you know what? God is calling me to leave my country. He's calling me to leave my homeland. Maybe that's where some of you are right now. Maybe there's something God is calling you to leave, to walk in a step or in a place that you've never seen before. I want to encourage you. You have this testimony you have this encouragement, you have these witnesses, and God has surrounded you, but all you need to do is pick up your Bible. All you need to do is open up the word. All you need to do is seek the Lord, and God will give you everything you need in that moment of decision. So these deeds of faith, they surround us so that no matter our doubts or fears, we find examples in the scripture applicable to each of us, no matter what uh, our age, regardless of our gender, regardless of our, our profession, our ethnicity, our national origin, whatever. We have people that have walked almost every conceivable path. And even if we can't find someone, we can't find a man or woman that's walked this path, we know from the testimony of this book that the Lord, the Lord, our God, Jesus, was tempted in every way. And that makes him the most qualified high priest for us. In Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about uh, Aaron, the high priest, that the high priest was not someone without sin, but it was a man like us so that he, as he bears our sins upon his shoulders with the ephod, he goes into the presence of the Holy of Holies and he brings the sins of the people knowing, having a sympathetic heart. And so how much more Jesus, Yeshua, our Savior, he was tempted just as we are tempted in all things. 
And so even if we can't find an example from chapter 11 of, of a man or a woman, we always can come back to Jesus. Because the word of God says, in every way that we were tempted, he was. And so as we continue with verse 1, uh, we take note, we observe this. We're compassed by a great cloud of witnesses. It says, then let us lay aside every weight. And so we have to understand that there are things holding us back. What's holding us back, guys? It says, weights and sin. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, which easily takes us down, which easily trips us up. And so when we think about this, uh, what are weights? What are weights? Uh, the Greek word is ogos, agkos, sorry. Um, and really what it is, it's just any protuberance, bulk, mass, any burden, any weight, any encumbrance. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. But when we think about this, it's the writer of Hebrews is sort of giving us this analogy. He's sort of painting a picture of a, a track, right? Anybody run track before? Anybody? A couple people, right? Uh, okay, so most of y'all don't like to run. So that's good news for me. If we ever go camping and a bear comes, I just know I'm good, right? Because y'all don't like to run. Um, but we got this image of a track, right? And the idea of running this race. And, you know, um, there's a lot of a, uh, uh, we just had the Olympics in Tokyo. I don't know if you guys are fans of Olympics or anybody fans of track and field. But, you know, obviously as a track athlete or whatever, you have a lane that's given to you and you have, um, you have uh, divisions uh, separating you from other people and you have an area that you're supposed to stay in. I'm sure you guys have heard the phrase, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, right, whatever. And you're supposed to stay in your lane and you are running and you are supposed to do your very best to finish first if possible. But think about this. Think about Usain Bolt. He was probably one, probably the fastest man alive, right, for a while. And think about if Usain Bolt, instead of going out there in his track, his normal track and field attire, let's say he went out there with some Doc Martens, right? And let's say he went out there with a football helmet, a helmet on, and let's say he went out there with a business suit, right? How Do you think he would break world records, right? Probably not. All right, he might come in last, although he's so fast, maybe he's just second. Maybe he just come in second or something like that. But as we think about that, it's kind of akin to the same thing. There are things in our lives, there are weights, there are burdens. And these weights and burdens prevent us from running the race that God has called us in the way that he's called us. And so like if you think about for a second right now, probably, like if you would ask yourself, Lord, what are the weights in my life? And maybe whatever the Holy Spirit's sharing with you right now, maybe that's a weight. You know, weights aren't necessarily evil things. Let's think about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, verse 23. All things are permitted, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted, but not all things build people up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Again, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, this freedom, becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. 
And so weights can not only stumble us, but they can stumble people to the left and right of us. But getting back to the subject of what a weight is, a weight doesn't necessarily have to be an evil thing. But it could be something in our lives that does not or prevents us, does not allow us to run this race for the Lord in a way that fully pleases him. Think about the rich young ruler, right? He comes to the Lord. He says, what must I do to be saved? And what does Jesus say to him? He, he goes through the law, right? He goes through the commandments. And the rich young ruler responds, all these things I've done. And Jesus says, one thing that's left, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And how does the rich young ruler respond? The Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he was extremely wealthy. So in this case, uh, the, the wealth was not a sin, but it was a weight. It, it, it was the one thing that was holding this young man back from being fully committed to the Lord. So whatever is in your life that is maybe a, a you know guilty pleasure, maybe something you like to watch, maybe it's a hobby or something like that. If these are things that keep you from living fully from the Lord, then what he's saying right now is let him go. Let them go. Because these are things that trips you up. These are things that cause you to stumble. These are things that keep you from living for the Lord. You know, um, some of us are sports fans and, you know, I, I've already testified that I struggle pretty much during this time of year uh, for, because of college football reasons and stuff like that. And so, like, it, it's a struggle because it's like, oh, I've been waiting all year for this. This is the perfect time. I love this. But I have to be careful. I have to be careful that I don't let something that's not a sin cause me to stumble. How? Well, my favorite team, they just got beat down 58 nothing by some random team in Texas, in Austin, whatever. <laughs> And now I'm coming home and I'm angry and I'm moody and I'm upset. I'm yelling at the kids. I'm yelling at my wife. Well, at that point I'd be a dead man, so I wouldn't get away with that for too long. I'm allowing this situation to affect who I am. I'm not walking in the joy of the Lord. I'm not walking in his grace. I'm not demonstrating love to others. Because something that is not sinful, that I enjoy, I've allowed it to take a hold of my attitude. And that's the thing, we have to remember, the thing about weights, what Paul, or not Paul, but what the writer of Hebrews is saying right here, is that we don't necessarily have to bear these. We don't have to carry these around. We can take them off, right? And we can exchange them. It's even, it gets even better than that. Not only do we not have to bear these, but we can exchange them. You know that? Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden, his burden, is light. You see, we don't have to worry about tripping up when we bear the burdens of the Lord. 
We don't have to worry about being all out of sorts when we bear the burdens of the Lord because he takes us up underneath his arms and he helps us, he encourages us, he strengthens us, and he does not place upon us a burden that is unbearable because he says his burden is light. But the burdens of the world, the weights of the world, these things that trip us up, uh, these things, if we're not careful, I'm not saying all your habits or all your hobbies are sinful. I'm not saying that. But you maybe you need to examine, what is it that I'm doing? Is anything that I'm doing or anything that I'm participating in or anything that I'm enjoying, is it causing me to not walk in the relationship with Jesus towards him and towards others. Remember, what's our primary command? We are commanded to love God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. And we're commanded to love each other as ourselves. So if there's something that is causing you to not fulfill the first part of the greatest command, as Jesus said, all the commandments, all 613 of the commandments, uh, they hang on these two. If there's something that's keeping you from doing that, either towards the Lord or towards people, then maybe you need to lay it aside. So the second thing that causes us to hold us or that holds us back is sin. In Greek, that word is harmatia. It's uh, defined as to miss the mark. It, the idea is to have a target and aim for the target, but to be off course. Um, specifically, the target is before the new covenant, the target was the mitzvah, the law, the commands. And so the law was given to us to show us how far away we are from God's definition of holiness and righteousness. And with the idea of hopefully we'll recognize that and we'll say, okay, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. And God's like, yes, I'm glad you recognize that. And I'm going to send my Messiah and he's going to cover your sins. But on this side of the new covenant, now our, we have to understand that sin is still sin. Didn't really change, right? Right? Not loving God, not loving people, having hatred in your heart. Right? Having lust in your heart, doing murder. And you know what's really interesting about that is that Jesus makes it even worse. Right? He, he def his definition made things a hundred times worse than what we thought. Because Jesus comes to the people and he says, hey, you've heard of, said of old, you shall not kill. But I tell you, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already murdered him. I tell you, it's been said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But if you have lust in your heart, you've already done it. And so his definition like cuts us to the core because it's one thing to walk around and say, well, I've never killed anyone. It's one thing to say, well, I've never had an affair. It's another thing to say, well, have you had hatred? It's another thing to say, well, have I lusted after someone? And so Jesus is like, look, guys, you don't get it. It's not outwardly actions that I'm concerned about. I mean, yes, he is. But I'm even more concerned about what's in here. Because I want this. I want your heart. Because if the Lord has our heart, guess what? Guess what? Guess what our hands do? Guess what our feet do? Guess what our mouth does? 
our mouth, our hands, our feet, they follow the conviction that's in our hearts. Because the word of God says, out of the heart comes forth what? Exactly. Right? So if you are hanging out with somebody and you're building something, right? And you're like, hey, can you hammer this for me? Like, sure. Here's a nail. Here's a hammer. And I'll boop, 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 boom. What's going to come out? Right? There's that moment. There's what we know. Well, that's the moment. That's, the, that's that true moment right there. We know what's really in there. Right? And if things come out like, oh, blessed be the Lord God of all. <laughs> Bless the Lord on my soul. Okay, all right, maybe, I don't know. More likely than not, there's going to be some very, very choice words with many of us. And you know what? That's a good moment because the Lord is like, yep, yep, Aaron, you're silly. You got some stuff in there. That's okay. We'll, we'll get this out. All right? A few minutes later, boom, I get the other one, right? So look, guys, it's what's in here. That's what the Lord is concerned about. He's concerned about our heart. He wants to radically transform our heart. That's why David said, creating me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. God is not just about making us look pretty on the outside because what did Jesus call the people who look pretty on the outside? He called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look beautiful, you look pleasant, but inside there are dead man's bones. So God is wanting to clean us from the inside out. He's transforming us. You know, one day we're going to have transformed bodies, right? We're going to be renewed in Christ. But it won't be very, very helpful to have these transformed bodies without transformed hearts. So sin, to the very core of who we are, God is wanting to tell us, look, guys, this is what's causing you to stumble. These are the things that are tripping you up, and you need to lay these things aside. Now, how do we lay these things aside? That's a good question. Well, okay, so we have the things that we do, the habits, or the things that we enjoy, guilty, you know, pleasures and stuff like that, that are not sinful, right? If those things are causing us not to walk with the Lord, okay, all right, the Holy Spirit's probably convicted some of us right now. But then there's the sin that we have. Those things that we are committing that we know are not God's will or the things that we are omitting that we know that are not God's will. James says, to him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So there may be things in our lives and God is saying, okay, well, the question becomes, how then do we lay aside these sins? Well, first, we need to acknowledge that we have sin. Right? Uh, The Christian life is not about being sinless. Okay? Okay. On this side of eternity, there's no way we can be perfect. We are going to stumble. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that we are still subject to sin. That we are still subject to making mistakes. We are still subject to uh, having error. And so then the question becomes, how then do we correct that? Well, we acknowledge our sin and we confess our sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it starts with acknowledging and it starts with confessing. Because John also says, If we say we have no sin, then we are a liar and the truth is not in us. But then he goes on to say, But if we confess our sins... And I love that because it's beautiful. Not only do we find forgiveness, 
But God will cleanse us. God will clean us up. He'll take that dirty cup of our lives. He'll, he'll scrub out all the filth and he'll wash the outside. He'll wash the inside and then he'll pour his spirit back in. And then like David said in Psalm 23, our cup will run over. But we have to get to the place where we say, you know what? I've messed up. I've sinned. And you know what? We have to do that on a daily basis. We can't just go a month. We can't just go six months. We can't just go a year. We can't fool ourselves into thinking that there's nothing wrong with us. No, that's why Jesus died. We are sinners. If we weren't sinners, there would be no cause for him to die. But he died because we are sinners. But praise the Lord, he died for us and his blood covers us. So when the father sees us, we are justified. What does that mean? This term of justification. It means that he looks at us as if we have never sinned because now we are his. And so now what we need to do is daily bring about that recognition. Father, you are holy. You are righteous. I blew it. I blew it, Lord. Please forgive me. I blew it with my words, with my spouse. I blew it with my words, with my coworker. I blew it with my thoughts. I blew it with anger. I blew it with lust. I blew it with pride. Whatever it is, we need to confess it to the Lord. And we won't know unless we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, when the Holy Spirit says, hey, look, Aaron, that wasn't right. In that moment, I need to acknowledge that. Because you know what happens if I don't acknowledge that? At some point, I'm not going to hear that voice anymore. I'm going to harden my heart. My heart is going to be hardened to the Lord. I'm not going to be sensitive to the Spirit. So in that moment, I need to be sensitive and I need to say, Lord, you are right. I have sinned. I have messed up. Please forgive me. Restore me. Help me get back on the path that you have desired for me. All right? We don't need to let these things go on and on and on. We need to come before the Lord humbly and broken. And we will find forgiveness and he will cleanse us. And it's such a beautiful picture to be cleansed by the Lord, to be reestablished, to be renewed, to have joy brought back into our lives. You know what happens when you sin? You know, you guys have your Bibles, right? Right? And hopefully you're reading your Bibles. But you know what happens when you sin? Something, something crazy happens. There's this, there's this weird like, um, um, like uh, phenomena that happens. It's kind of like, you know, you ever play with magnets? right? You got a north and a south pole, you know, you, and then like the north is always attracted to the south. So boom, they stick together. But what happens when you flip one magnet around? What happens when you have a north and a north pole lined up? They push each other away. They repel each other. And that's how it is in our walk with the Lord. When we sin, it has this weird effect of pushing us away from the Lord, pushing us away from people who we know will hold us accountable pushing us away from his word. And sometimes it's super unreasonable, super like irrational. Like, oh, I don't want to hang out with this person. They know what I did. No, they don't know what you did. They can't read your mind. But it's that guilt, right? The Holy Spirit's like, ah. And we're like, ah, right? You know, like, oh, you know, Colson knows that, you know, I was playing video games until three o'clock in the morning. I don't want to hang out with Colson. You know, something crazy like that. Sorry, Colson. Sin has this effect of, causing us to want to fall away, to push away, to remove any source of conviction from our lives. And it's not just sin, then it's the voices. 
the voices from ourselves, the voices from the enemy, the voices of condemnation that say, hey, you're a sinner. You messed up. You can't. How do you call yourself a Christian? Why are you spending time? Why are you coming to church? Why are you hanging out with these people? Don't they know how horrible you are? And we listen to those things and we bring them into our hearts and we we consider them and we we like oh, just chew on them and chew on them and chew on them. And next thing you know, it's like, hey, guys, have you seen Eric? I haven't seen him in like three months. Anybody know what's going on with him? Like, have, have you talked to him? Or like, hey, Aaron, are, are you reading your Bible? No, I haven't read my Bible. Are you praying? No, I'm not praying. And you know who's really heartbroken over that? Not just the church, but the Lord. He's heartbroken over that because we're listening to the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy's condemning us. Now, the enemy's telling the truth. We did sin, but he's not telling the full truth. Because the Word of God says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we bring our sins to the Lord, when God forgives us, you know what happens? All of a sudden, we recognize the lies. The enemy doesn't want us to be in fellowship. We're like, you know what? I don't care about that. You're right. I did sin. But you know what? What's more important for me, more than anything else, is to get back in fellowship with my Lord. And when we're in fellowship with the Lord, we're striving, when we're walking with him, you know what happens? Sin all of a sudden becomes something we don't want to be a part of. Because we know that it takes us away from the sweetest relationship we've ever known. We know that it takes us away from our joy. We know that it takes takes us away from the beauty of who God is. And when you understand that, when you recognize that, now fellowship with God repulses desires to be in sin with the world. So these things stumble us. Uh, Things that are not necessarily sins or evil, but cause us to not walk with the Lord the way we should, and sins. Sins will cause us to stumble. So what should we do? We are to lay them aside. We are to remove those things that beset us, easily beset us. We are to remove the sins in our lives. And, you know, if you there's a sin in your life, if it's a habitual sin, I encourage you uh, to reach out to someone uh, to say, hey, you know what, please hold me accountable for this. I'm struggling with this. Just because you're struggling with that sin doesn't mean that you are not a child of God. Again, we are not going to be sinless on this side of eternity. Some of us, some people get saved and every vice, every sin that they've ever dealt with, God takes it away. Some people get saved and they struggle with things over and over and over again. Remember what Paul said. Paul said he asked the Lord three times to remove a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn is. But three times he asked the Lord to remove a thorn from his side. And what did God say to Paul? He says, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And sometimes that's what God is doing with us. And so I just want to encourage you. All right. I'm not encouraging you to sin. No, absolutely. Right. We should not sin. So the grace abounds. I'm encouraging you that if you're struggling with something, let someone know. Right. Be accountable. Open up your life. First, you need to be opening up your life to the Lord, first and foremost, confessing that. But second of all, pray that God would bring someone into your life that can hold you accountable. And so we need to encourage each other. We need to build each other up. 
The goal in all this is to not chop each other down. The goal in this walk with the Lord is not to condemn each other, but the goal in our walk with the Lord together as community is to lift each other up, to encourage each other, to always be reconciled to our Lord. And if we see your brother and sister straying off the path, our goal is to bring them back into community. That's the goal. And so that's why we hold each other accountable, not so that we can lord over someone, not so that we can put them down, not so that we can make fun of them for the things that they're struggling with, because, but for the grace of God, you would be struggling with the same thing. But the goal of the word of God, the goal of the community of God is to come alongside each other and lift each other up and encourage each other so that we can have a relationship with the Lord. The enemy does not want that. That's not what the enemy wants. The enemy would like to see us straying away from God's people. Remember, in the, uh, the Exodus, as God was bringing the people out of Egypt, those who were sick, those who couldn't walk, those who were struggling with things, uh, they didn't stay, they couldn't keep up with the main body. And what does the word of God tells us? It tells us that the Amalekites, they came and they picked them off one by one. Uh, Amalek is always a type of sin and always a type of Satan. And Satan desires to seal, kill, and destroy. So he wants to zero you in, he, he wants to separate you, and he wants to destroy you. And so we have to be willing to be uh, um, genuine. We have to be willing to seek the Lord and say, Lord, would you bring someone in my life that can speak into my life, that can hold me accountable, that can help me walk with you because I don't want to be separated from what you're doing. All right. And so then the author says, let us then run with patience the race that is set before us. So let's talk about that. Because the reason we need to take off these things that easily ensnare us is because God has a race for us to run. It says um, we have, it says and when we talk about this race, it says, look, this race is something that we have to run with patience. That word patience is hypomone. And we're going to see this again. And where it says set before us, we're going to see that again later on in the next verse. So we have this race that God has given us, that we are to run with patience, and this race is for us. Like, the race I have is different from the race that God has given my wife. And so therefore, God then is going to hold me accountable for the race that he's given. Now, we think about track and field, right? Um, you know, there's many different events, right? There's, uh, there's the marathon, there's the four by four relay, there's the 100-meter dash. There are hurdles. There are many different types of races that we'll see in the Olympics. And so uh, very rarely do you have someone who is able to run all of those events, right? I don't think Usain Bolt would be a very good marathoner, right? Probably not. Whereas I don't think a marathoner would be a very good 100-meter sprinter either. So God in his wisdom has designed us and given every single one of us a race to run. We have a race. You have a specific race. I don't know what that is. Um, I, can, I can gain some insight. I can probably observe your life and say, okay, I can kind of see what, what maybe Manny's race is or, or uh, Mike's race or Ginger's race. But you know what? Your race is still going to be different from mine. And what's cool about that, what's freeing about that is... Um, the judgment for how well I run my race 
how well you run your race, your judgment comes from Jesus. Because he gave you that race. In fact, he's the only righteous judge. He's the one who knows the things that we deal with on a daily basis. You know, maybe we're dealing with uh, pain that is just crippling on a day-to-day basis. The Lord knows that. He sees that. And if we are being our best, if we are showing love to people in spite of the pain that's crippling us, you know what? God is commended with that. God is blessed by that. So we all have a race. And our circumstances may not be the same as someone else's circumstances. But you know what? God is not calling or God is not looking for you to do what everybody else does. He's looking for you to be faithful in what he's called you to, wherever you are in life. So we can take encouragement in that because when we stand before him, he knows all the circumstances. He knows. It's like watching people line up on track to run a race. Some guy has like really expensive shoes because his parents could afford it. Some guy's running barefoot. Right, And each person, as long as they are running with full effort, right, God sees that and he blesses that. Because look, hey man, you, you were given shoes and you ran with your greatest effort and you don't have any shoes and you ran with your greatest effort. You know what? When both of those people stand before God, you know what they're going to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? You were faithful over the things that I've given you. And the Lord is blessed by that. But when we say, you know what? Oh, Lord, I can't do it. I don't have any shoes. So I'm just going to walk. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to strive. God is like, look, I, I know your circumstances. But I would have been more pleased if you had given your all, if you had strived with everything you had. Or the person who has the shoes, well, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to take it easy. No, you were given so much. And you chose not to fully live out what God has given you. We see those examples over and over again. So we have a race. And that word race actually is the word agon. And we get the, it's the root of our English word agonize. And so what it's telling us is that the race that we run for the Lord is a race that we need to contend for. It's a life of, of agony sometimes. It's a life sometimes of suffering or having anguish. But it's a life where we need to focus on what God is calling us to do. And we need to contend strongly and mightily with all that we are for the Lord, but it's also a race of patience, hypomone, meaning that we need to persevere. We need to persevere under misfortunes. We need to persevere under trials. And most of all, above all, we need to hold fast to our faith in Jesus. So this race is a metaphor for our walk with the Lord, striving for the Lord, striving to be an example in a world that is dying, striving to be light, not covering the light, but letting our light shine, being salt and and, and being that which preserves and being that which adds flavor so that God can get the glory and people in our lives can come to know him. Also speaking of spending our strength, or in performing for the Lord and doing what God has called us to do, to not hold anything back, to leave it on the field. That's a phrase that we used to hear a lot when I played football in high school. Leave it on the field. Combat sports, you hear it all the time. He left it all in a cage, right? Or he left it all in a ring. In other words, I'm not holding anything back. Everything I am for this moment, for this time that I'm given, I'm giving it my all. 
And so that's what God is looking for. We are to run this race. And as we run this race, we are accountable to the Lord, but he is a righteous judge and he will give us a fair evaluation. So that takes us to our next section, the last section then, eyes on him. Our eyes need to be on him. Verse, tw- verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so uh, as we look at this, we have to understand that Jesus is the object of our striving. He's the object of our effort. He is the object of our race. That word looking, aphoro, it's used twice in the New Testament, and it literally means to turn our eyes away from other things and to stare at this one object. In this case, we are to stare at Jesus. It gives us this picture of Jesus literally being at the finish line as we are running our race with our eyes on him, not on the person next to us, to the right or to the left, not on the people in the stands, not on anything else, but our eyes are on him and we are running to him. Not anyone else. Looking unto him. We are considering attentively. We are looking at the life of Jesus. We are studying the word. What does it mean to live like Christ? What does it mean to be a little Christ, a Christian? What does it mean to die to the world and to live unto the Lord? Our attention is on him. It says he is the author of our faith. In other words, he is the prince captain or he is the one who's written. He is the beginning. He is the origin of everything we believe in. But it also says he's the finisher. And that word finisher, we get the word, uh, it's, it's uh, teleotes. In fact, that word is related to a word you're probably familiar with. It's what Jesus said on the cross in John 19, verse 30, to telestai, it is finished. So Jesus is a picture. He's the beginning of our faith. He's the end of our faith. We look to him and he is our perfection. He is our standard. He is our goal. He is our finish line. He is the one who brings us to maturity. He is the one who is perfection. He is the one that we strive for. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And what is our faith? Our faith is a strong and welcome conviction that Jesus is the Messiah. We are convicted. We are convinced There is no doubt he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the one through whom salvation comes into this world through our father, the love of our father. He is the one by whom we have obtained eternal salvation through our souls, for our souls. He is the one who ushers us into the kingdom of God forevermore. He is the reason that we have joy. He is the reason that we rejoice. But then the question becomes, what was his motivation? Why was Jesus on that cross? And we see right here, it says, the joy of the Lord kept him there. What is the joy? That word in Greek is kara. That word in Hebrew is simcha. It's used 59 times in the New King James Bible version, the, the Greek word. The, uh, the, uh, the Hebrew version of that word, simcha, is used over 86 times in the Old Testament. And we have this beautiful juxtaposition of the suffering of Christ on the cross and the object of Christ or the goal of Christ on the cross. The suffering, the pain, the shame that he went through, yet he's on the cross because of the goal. What was the goal? You are. You are the goal. You are the joy that was set before him. It's that same word, right, that we talked about earlier in verse 1. Just as God has set a race before us, So the father set before his son, 
joy. And what was that joy? Us. The father set before his son an inheritance, a bride, the bride of Christ. See, there's no joy in the cross. There was no joy in having nails driven through his hands. No joy in having nails driven through his feet. No joy in being scourged. No joy in having a crown of thorns pressed upon his head. No, the joy was what would be the outcome of the cross as all of our sins are nailed against it. And so therefore we receive forgiveness. And as he sees that, he understands that that forgiveness would bring and lead many sons and daughters into salvation because he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Psalm 26 or 21, verse 6, it says, You have made him blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. We are his joy. Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. We are called by his name. He has set his name upon, upon us. And so now we are, uh, we are bearers of the name of God in this world. Because Jesus went to the cross, he said, look, you are my joy. You are the reason that I'm here. You are the reason that I'm suffering. Notice it says he endured the cross. He endured just as we are to endure. We are to run with patience. We are to run this race. Even though trials come, Jesus, again, our example, endured the greatest trial of all time the trial of atoning for sins. He endured it. The joy set before him enabled him, encouraged him to endure this cross. Praise the Lord that he endured the cross. Not only did he endure the cross, he despised the shame. Now, that's a kind of interesting word because when we think of the word despise today, we have a negative connotation. Well, it is a negative connotation, but we have a kind of a different definition we think of the spies, we think of like, you know, that Tom Brady, I despise him. You know, he's a cheater. No, I'm just kidding, Tom. <laughs> Hope you come to the Lord, Tom. Um, no, we, we kind of think of it as like, you know, I, I want nothing to do with that person. I despise that person. I hate that person. But that's not really what the word means. The word despise really means to not think of. It means like to have no consideration for it. It's like, it's like this, you know, it's like, you know, you go to our house and, and our kids are just loud and loud and loud. And you may say to my wife, doesn't all that noise bother you? And she's like, nah, it doesn't bother me. I don't even think about it. It's just background noise to me now. Like she has no consideration for it anymore because it's like, yeah, whatever. Right? So that word despise kind of takes this definition of, you know what? I'm not even thinking about it. I'm not thinking anything of it. And, and so what did Jesus despise? He despised the shame. Think about that for a second. The shame, first of all, he was probably naked before everyone. But think about this, you know, from a physical shame, that's one thing. Uh, the shame of being falsely accused. The shame of being rejected by his own. The shame of bearing all of our sins. Every one of our sins. Every horrible thing we've done, every nasty thought, every ungodly thought, every ungodly word we've said, he bore our sins. He who knew no sins became sin. There's a shame of that. And finally, there's a shame of being separated from his father. 
is he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because as the father looks down, he doesn't see his beautiful, shining, radiant son anymore. He sees the sin of the world. And so the father turns his back. And so the shame of being rejected, the shame of the father turning away and saying, I want nothing to do with you. He knew this shame was coming, and yet he thought little of it. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. That is how greatly he loves us. The pain, the shame, all those things that come with the cross, the Lord made up in his mind, he doesn't have to worry. I'm not worrying about this disgrace. I'm not worrying about this dishonor. I'm not worrying about any of these things because I have one goal. Just as we are called to run this race with Jesus as our goal, he ran this race of atoning for our sins with one goal at the finish line. And you know what it was? We are that goal at the finish line. It's kind of a beautiful picture, a beautiful reflective picture. On one hand, we're running to him. On the other hand, he was dying for us. We're running to him. He's our goal. He's our finish line. He's dying for us, and he's looking at us. It's beautiful to kind of think about that. And so it goes on to say that the work is complete. He, he sat down. He finished the work. And why is it important? Why is it important? Because we talked about this last time over the past couple of Sundays. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The high priest, the high priest, there was no chair for the high priest to sit in when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for us. There was no place for him to rest. His job was to walk around. His job consisted of standing. There was no rest when making atonement. But Jesus, because of the fact that we see here in the word of God that he sat down, it tells us something. It tells us that what he did was complete. It tells us that what he did was sufficient. It tells us that he never has to do it again. He sat down. Where did he sit? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. We see a contrast in Psalm 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, sort of basically what the, the writer is saying is that uh, the man that is not blessed, the man that is not holy, they walk in the counsel of ungodly, they stand in the way of sinners, and they sit in the seat of the scornful. But we see that with Jesus, that wasn't the case. Though he walked with sinners, he did not walk in their counsel. Though he stood with people who were far from the Lord, uh, he was not in their way. He wasn't the way. Rather, his way was towards life. And now as he sits, he sits next to his father. And it's important to understand, when it says that he sits at the right hand of the father, that's, that's messianic. Because Psalm 116 talks about, or Psalm 16, a messianic psalm talks about this. He says, uh, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoice. My flesh shall also rest in hope. For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer thy holy one to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This is a messianic psalm uh, that the, the writer uh, is given to see what is going to happen in the future and to sit at God's right hand, to sit at the, the right hand of the Father. 
Uh, the right hand is always symbolic of power. It's always symbolic of holiness. It's always symbolic of favor. So the Father has said in Psalm 110, another messianic psalm, verse 1, a psalm of David, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So the Father having a conversation with the Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So this is completely messianic. So the fact that we see that he has sat at the right hand of the Father fulfills prophecy, but also fulfills or it gives us assurance that he has fulfilled everything we need for our sins to be atoned. The work is complete. And so as we close out, I want to encourage you with one last passage. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus says to him who overcomes... I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So what's the point of all this? The point of all this is this. We have a race to run. Every one of us, God has given us a race. There is no one too great, no one too small. Uh, you don't have to be a, a pastor teacher. Uh, you, it doesn't matter what your title is if you want to go by titles. No matter who you are, God has given you a race. God has given you a work of faith. God has a, a plan for your life. God has a work for your life. Uh, it, you, may not think that you, it, you may not think that your life amounts to that. You may not think, well, I'm not in full-time ministry. Uh, yes, you are. If you are a bearer of the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ, guess what? You are a minister. Peter says that we are priests. So we are being sent out to the world. Do you know, do you know what God did with the priests? the Levites, do you know what he did with them? You know, they were the tribe that did not actually inherit parts of the, the, the promised land. They had no inheritance. In fact, they were scattered out to 48 different cities throughout all of Israel. Do you know why? Because God said, uh, said to, speaking to them, says, tell the Levites, I am their inheritance. And so the Levites were scattered throughout all of Israel. Why? So as priests, people who were familiar and intimate with God's word, they could be representatives throughout the land of Israel for those who had questions about how to please God in their daily basis, in their daily lives. Guess what you are? You are a royal priesthood and you have been scattered throughout the world. You've been scattered through your jobs, your communities, where you live, your friends, your schools, wherever you are, God has placed you there for a purpose and for such a time as this. And so that race that God has given you, he is wanting you to run with endurance. He is wanting you to run with your eyes upon Jesus. To not faint, to not be weary, to lay aside those things that cause you to stumble, to lay aside those sins, whatever they are, confess them to the Lord, bring them to him, keep them at his feet. But he is calling you to run. Are you, gonna really, are you willing to run today? Are you willing to run for the Lord? Are you willing to give it all that you have? Maybe the race that God has given you is just to minister to your grandchild. Maybe the race that God has given you is to just be a witness to your neighbor, right? Let's not minimize God's calling, right? Let's not blow up God's calling. God's calling for your life is as important as God's calling for anybody else's life. Because you are the representative that he has placed in that situation. Amen.